Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about mnemonics. lovely teachers. I hope you're having a beautiful week so far and that everything is going exceptionally well for you. We have super duper blue skies in Dublin here today, so I'm feeling extra chipper, I have to say, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about mnemonics. So today on the blog, we have a article that's part of our parent series. So this is articles that we're writing for parents so that you can share them with parents, basically, because there are some topics that come up again and again that we think it's useful to have an outside source (laughs) to send to parents, an outside view, so that it's not just you saying this. And there aren't really that many articles out there that are written by teachers for parents covering some of these topics, so we thought we would fill in those gaps. And one of those subjects is why we don't want parents to teach their child music mnemonics. So if you are quite happy for the parent to teach them mnemonics, if you are a fan of mnemonics and you're not going to be persuaded otherwise by me, then fair enough. Go on your merry way and ignore the advice in this episode. Although it might go for anything that you find parents are doing with the best of intentions that you don't necessarily want them to do. So, first of all, just briefly, why do I not want parents to teach their child mnemonics? Well, mnemonics seem like a good idea. So, by mnemonics, I mean like, oh, good, sorry, (laughs) I already messed it up. Isn't that funny? That helps me make my point. I didn't do that on purpose. All cows eat grass is what I meant to say. Every good boy deserves fruit. Those are the ones I used growing up. So, for some reason, I, well, I also knew F-A-C-E. So, I always had this gap with the bass clef lines. I didn't have a mnemonic for that. I just figured them out from the spaces. But I continued to use those, especially for the bass clef, until I'm going to say age 12 or 13, like a long time into study. That's like five years of lessons or something. And I remember distinctly like stopping and working out notes I wasn't sure about in the bass clef using all cows eat grass And doing it in my head because I knew my teacher thought I should be kind of beyond that. But I never really overcame it. So that's one issue is maybe students won't make that transition to it being seamless note recognition, which is what we want. 
But the main thing for me is how awkward they are and how many steps they introduce to the student. If I am seven and I'm told the spaces in the base clef are all cows eat grass, I have to first of all remember the correct sentence, all cows eat grass, and not make a mistake like I just did where I said all good <laughs> cows. I have to not make a mistake like that. But then I have to think, okay, all. How do we spell all? Remember, I'm seven, so that's not an easy question. All, a, a. Right, that's an A. You know, and then I have to go to the next line, maybe, and it's B, something like that. So it's just a lot of steps, and they're not really necessary. The music staff is completely logical. There's nothing actually difficult about it. We don't need a mnemonic device. I can see where maybe if students really struggle with the circle of fifths, for example. I don't use this in my studio much, but if a student really is struggling and they're not gelling with the way I normally teach the circle of fifths, I have no problem with them learning farther Charles goes down to and ends battle, whatever it is. Yeah, I got it right, I think. <laughs> it's the one that goes forwards and backwards. So that's fine. Because that's something you generally do on paper. We're talking about a theory exam. They have time to write down the mnemonic. They're also usually older by the time we're talking about this. But the mnemonics for music reading are just unhelpful. So they're unhelpful because of those extra steps. And they're also unhelpful because they focus our attention on the wrong thing. The note names. It doesn't actually matter what the notes are called. Right? They could be called whale and elephant. Or they could be called Greek letters. It doesn't matter what they're called. What matters is that we're able to translate symbol on the page to note we need to play on the piano. Now, we do want our students to learn what those notes are called because that's one of the conventions in Western music notation and it's useful to know. But really, it's the least important thing in music reading. And especially for beginners, we want them to be able to find their starting note and then mostly read from intervals unless there's a big jump and then they can find that note. So they don't need to do it that fast, but they do need a reliable method. And that's why I generally prefer teaching them landmark notes in the beginning and then teaching the skip self about when they get a bit further along, which is somewhat like a mnemonic, except you skip the mnemonic part because it's just F-A-C-E-G-B-D and you just drill that in until they're as practiced saying that as they are the regular alphabet. And then it's really fast to work your way up the lines or spaces. So more on that elsewhere. But all that to say, I don't want parents to teach their child every good boy deserves fruit. But I also don't want to be a snit about it, right? Because if they do that, it's because they're helping their child with their practice at home. And they thought they were being helpful. So I would prefer not to be in a position where I have to correct them about that at all. That's my ideal, right? I don't want to be having to explain to them after they've already brought up mnemonics, printed them out. I've had parents print out like the graphic with the face on the treble clef and the cows, you know, like we have one of those. I used to use mnemonics in my studio, so I get it. But I don't want them printing that out. I don't want us to get to that stage. So my preference is to explain it to parents earlier on. And I wouldn't always cover this at the first interview, meeting, whatever you want to call it. Although sometimes I would. Depends on the parent's background and how much I think they're likely to bring up mnemonics at home. But most of the time, 
I wouldn't introduce it there, but I will cover it in one of my email follow-ups to parents. Just somewhere, just a brief mention. By the way, this is how we read. And then I'll kind of communicate it as we go in how I talk to them in our progress updates and places like that so that they're aware of how we're learning to read. Sometimes parents will come to me and say, oh, I've noticed I was helping little Johnny practice this week and I've noticed he really doesn't know the note names. Do you need to work on them more? Like, should he know them by this stage? They're worried about it. And depending on where the child is in the process, I'll explain to them how it works and why we're not worried about that. Or maybe we are at this stage thinking about it more and how they can help them to improve that at home, such as doing note name games or apps or things like that. But I try and head it off at the pass. If a parent does bring the mnemonic, does like print out the mnemonic or they teach to their child and the child brings it up in the lesson, I kind of try to say, oh yeah, that is a cool trick. There's nothing wrong with it. Because I don't want them to think, oh, that's incorrect. Like, I kind of think about this like in maths class when you had to show you're working out, right, for the answer. There's no wrong way to come to the right answer. So I don't mind if the mnemonics do work for them and they stick with it and they learn off the notes. Really, it makes no difference to me. But I do kind of approach it as, oh, that is a cool trick. I have a better one, though, that maybe mum or dad or Google didn't know about because this is a more recent one or, you know, this is how we do things now. And I think it's even better because you can't mix up this and that. Um, and then I teach them in scuffs alphabet or go over it and explain how it's better and try and reinforce that. Again, I don't want to like bulldoze over them using the mnemonics because if they've gotten to a stage where they have learned them off because their parent printed them for them, and if they're not getting them mixed up, then who am I to judge that? That's fine. But I do try and discourage it from happening in the first place. That's where I put most of the emphasis for myself. Um, but yeah, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I'll just say that. Because if they do learn off the mnemonics and they're working successfully for them, well, I do have to acknowledge that I figured out my notes by mnemonics for, let's say, five or six years of study. <laughs> And I'm here, right? I'm at this stage. So it's not the end of the world, but I do try and discourage it. And that's how I go about it. So I hope that's useful for you. If you ever come across this issue in your studio, I hope you'll share that article with parents if you agree with our advice and would find it useful to have it coming from a third party, from an outside source um, for your studio. And I'd love to hear what things parents do trying to be helpful that aren't so helpful in your studio what has come up for you do come find me on instagram and let me know what hiccups you've come across that parents are doing with the best of intentions i'd love to hear them and i'll see you back here next week i kind of think about this like in maths class when you had to show you're working out right for the answer there's no wrong way to come to the right answer. So I don't mind if the mnemonics do work for them and they stick with it and they learn off the notes. Really, it makes no difference to me. But I do kind of approach it as, oh, that is a cool trick. I have a better one, though, that maybe mum or dad or Google didn't know about because this is 
a more recent one or, you know, this is how we do things now. And I think it's even better because you can't mix up this and that. And then I teach them the scopes alphabet or go over it and explain how it's better and try and reinforce that. Again, I don't want to like bulldoze over them using the mnemonics because if they've gotten to a stage where they have learned them off because their parent printed them for them and if they're not getting them mixed up, then who am I to judge that? That's fine. But I do try and discourage it from happening in the first place. That's where I put most of the emphasis for myself. But yeah, it's not the end of the world, <laughs> I'll just say that, because if they do learn off the mnemonics and they're working successfully for them, well, I do have to acknowledge that I figured out my notes by mnemonics for, let's say, five or six years of study. And I'm here, right? I'm at this stage. So it's not the end of the world, but I do try and discourage it. And that's how I go about it. So I hope that's useful for you. If you ever come across this issue in your studio, I hope you'll share that article with parents if you agree with our advice and would find it useful to have it coming from a third party, from an outside source um, for your studio. And I'd love to hear what things parents do trying to be helpful that aren't so helpful in your studio. What has come up for you? Do come find me on Instagram and let me know what hiccups you've come across that parents are doing with the best of intentions. I'd love to hear them and I'll see you back here next week. Vibrant Music Teaching members get five new games or resources at least every single month that keep them inspired and wanting to become a better teacher each and every day. If you want to join the best community of teachers online, you can go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.